the outline says the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus. Now the day is 23rd June 2018. The location is Chiang Rai province in Thailand. Twelve boys and their football coach have set out into the mountains with some fun. Uh, they have come to the Tham Luang cave, uh, a favorite haunt for the boys. Uh, they love exploring the nooks and crannies of the Maysai mountain range. So they've come here for some fun. As they are coming, they leave their bikes and bikes outside the cave entrance before they enter the mountain. They only take with them into the cave their torches. But as they go deep into the cave, trouble strikes. It's been raining for the last few days in Maysai, and all the water on the mountain has been sinking down into the Tham Luang cave system. And it is filling up fast. And as these 12 boys are there, they are now trapped by a new flood that has just broken behind them. They are now in the cave, and they can't go back. They are trapped. So the only thing they can do is to go deeper into the cave for some safety. And so they do this. They keep going and going and going until they become marooned on a small rock shell, rocky shell, two miles, over two miles from the cave entrance. This is where they are on this rocky shell. And all around them is darkness. And as days pass, they lose all sense of time. They have no food on them, and so the only thing they can do is to drink water that's dripping down from the, uh, from the, from the top, from the, through the cave walls, as it were. Darkness, fear, terror has completely gripped these 12 boys who are, who are in a football team, and their coach, one coach with them. Uh, they are wondering to themselves, is this the end of our lives? At such a young age, are we really about to die? Or... Will light shine in our darkness? Now, as we sit here, we are far from the dark caves of Chiang Rai. And yet, in some way, we are not too far, are we? Because all of us have our darkness. And we see this darkness all around us. As Sky News this year has been doing wonderful programs called Line 18. And these programs, you can find them on YouTube, Line 18. They've been documenting the state of modern Britain. And it paints a picture of a nation that is not just broken, it is increasingly broken. Rising drug-taking, violent gang crimes, more broken families than ever before, many run-down areas, rising social tension, racial tension in this country. And other media outlets have spoken, for example, of the epidemic of loneliness and anxiety among young women especially. The age range of 13 to 16 is almost a danger to someone in this country, if you are young, if you are a young girl in particular. 38% of girls aged between 13 and 16 self-harm themselves. It means they cut them. That's a high figure, 40%, more than ever before. Something is happening in our country, isn't it? A darkness has taken hold in the land. But this darkness is not just out there. 
The darkness is actually is in and with all of us. And we have been in this darkness since we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And our darkness takes many forms, but principally four. First of all, we are all under the darkness of sin. All of us have abandoned God. We only live for ourselves by nature. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, using the NLT version, All of us, like sheep, have gone, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Secondly, the darkness we face is not just the darkness of sin, it is also the darkness of death. The Bible says in Romans 6, verse 23, the penalty of living under the darkness of sin is death. No, it's just physical death. Sin has left all of us, not only under a physical death, but under an eternal and spiritual death. And it has done this by cutting us from the, all of the life of God. We now live by nature, cut off from God who is the source of all life. Not only the darkness of death, we are also under the third darkness, the darkness of Satan. Satan is a powerful rebel angel who brought evil in our world, and he lives to promote darkness in this world. You see, all human beings enter this world, all of us carrying the son name of Satan as our father. We are born as spiritual slaves in Satan's house of darkness. That's default by nature. The fourth darkness is that all human beings, because we live under the first three darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, and the darkness of Satan, all of us by nature enter this world under the everlasting punishment from our glorious God. Our lives are reserved for for the gloom of utter darkness that Jude talks about in Jude 1 verse 13. Now, I have taken the time to explain our present darkness that we are under, because unless we understand how bad it is, we can't appreciate the good news. If I gave you a million pounds, uh, you are likely to appreciate it less, isn't it? If you uh, already have two million. But if it's bad for you, you are one of these many broken families in the country that are struggling below the poverty line. And I gave you a million pounds, you appreciate it. The good news is always relative to understanding where we are. And it is dark for us, the Bible says. These four forms of darkness is what we are under. But there is good news. What's the good news? The good news is that God is shining a great light in the person of Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Christmas reminds us that Jesus has come to rescue us from this fourfold darkness. And in fact, I didn't even mention the darkness of pain and suffering, which you could say five forms of darkness. During our family carol services, we read the prophecy of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus. It concerns the light of Jesus coming. Brother, our dear brother Pete read this passage for us. I'll just read from Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them as light shine. That's a prophecy 700 years before Christ. Well, this morning, we are going through Mark, and I just want to look briefly at what Jesus says concerning 
himself as this lamp of God, this light of God. And we are in Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to verse 25. As you know, those who have been with us, when, as we're going through Mark, we know that Jesus is in the middle of giving his parables about his work. Last time, we had four sermons on Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20, which taught us what it truly means to be converted. And Jesus was talking about that. And he taught us that we are to respond truly. We are to be the fourth soil that responds to the good news of Jesus. Now, Mark gives us two parables in front of you there. Uh, Jesus now turns to, which are tied closely together. Uh, we have the parable of the lamp in verse 21 to verse 23, which is only found in Mark, not to be confused with any other parables concerning the light. This is only found in Mark. And then we have the parable of the measure, uh, which is in verse 24 to verse 25. Now, I just want to say, <clears throat> we could summarize these two parables with one sentence. What Jesus is teaching these two parables is simply this. The light of Jesus brings blessing in our lives. The light of Jesus brings blessing in our lives. And that's just a, one single truth I just want us to learn today. It's a single point in your outline. Look with me at verse 21 to verse uh, 22 there. It says this, and he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And Jesus here is painting a picture of a home in Galilee uh, that is being lit by a small oil lamp containing a floating wick, right? Now, I don't know if you have ever lived under a lamp in a village. Has anyone done that here? Uh, you've done that. That's great. Thank you, man. I've also done that. Thank you, brother. I've also done that. I was raised in a village. I grew up in a village. And I lived under a lamp in a village. Uh, and I push, uh, but I appreciate that many of you here just have never lived under a lamp or indeed in a village at all. We live in the developed world where you just turn on the switch and the light comes on in the house. Now, the thing you need to understand is that the houses in ancient Israel, like in a village where I grew up or in some villages in the world, do not have windows. Okay? That's quite important. They don't have windows. What they have are small slots in these houses in Israel. And within those small or sort of slots that they have built in the wall. Uh, usually it's where you put the lamp to, uh, to light uh, the entire house. The small wall is where you put this lamp to stand. But most important, the other thing you need to understand that, that in, in, in Israel this time and in some parts of the world where people live in villages, it is always dark inside the house. Why? Because the houses don't have windows. So actually, it's important to understand that because they don't have windows, the oil lamp that they have, which may give little light to us, actually it is priceless in a village. It's priceless in an ancient home. Uh, when you have it, you use it. Even a candle, right? When you have it in a village, you use it. You don't, you don't go stash it somewhere else. And that's what Jesus' rhetorical question here means. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And Jesus is saying no one in their right mind living in these homes would rather live in darkness than use the lamp. 
And we can imagine as Jesus tells this parable, people nodding, yeah? Yeah, of course it makes sense. But is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's saying more than that. He's actually saying here that the house represents a world gripped in self-imposed darkness. And Jesus is the lamp in the house. Now, some of you are very good Bible students, of course, here, and we've been going through Mark, and I've been encouraging you. And as we read through the Bible, the reason we go through the Bible verse by verse is that you can understand it in context, and you could ask difficult questions about, hang on a minute, you said Jesus is a lamp. Where does that come from? Or you say, this, the house represents the darkness. Uh, the, the house represents the darkness in this world. Where does that come from? So it's right that you ask that, and that's why we go through the Bible uh, here verse by verse. So where have I got this from? Where have I got this from, actually, is from the original language Mark wrote this gospel in. Okay? In the original language, verse 21 reads like this. Listen very carefully. It's written like this. Does the lamp come to be put under the basket? Does the lamp come to be put under the basket? And you can be what I've just said to what's written there is a lamp brought in to be put under the basket. You notice two important things. First of all, you notice in the original language it's not a lamp, but the lamp. Okay? Secondly, you notice that the lamp is not brought in by someone. It comes. Why is that? The reason is that the lamp is a person. Jesus is the lamp that has come to shine in our darkness. And this accords with what Jesus himself says in John 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You see, when the oil lamp is in the open, it brightens the house. And it makes it possible for people to eat. That's what happened to us in the village. You could sit in eat, have a good meal, and you could chat. The place that was dark, all of a sudden, is a nice evening place to sit in, chat, and have life. And if you put a lamp in the house, it keeps you safe, doesn't it? It keeps dark intruders outside. Well, the lamp is the light of life in the house. It makes life happen in the house. And it is what every family depends on. Well, in the same way, Jesus is saying, is the true light of life that has come in this world. Is the true light of life that all of us truly need to make our life function as God intended. And the good news is that just as it doesn't make sense to hide the lamp, Jesus is saying, we can be confident that Jesus, our lamp, has come to shine forever. God has not brought him to stash him underneath somewhere. The lamp of Jesus will burn and burn brightly for us. And the light of Jesus has come to be put on full display to give all of us who come to him freedom from darkness, the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, the darkness of Satan, and ultimately the darkness of pain and suffering in the world to come. He delivers us from that in the world to come. How does Jesus do this? First of all, he does this by dying on the cross in our place. The death of Jesus takes on the punishment for sin that you and I deserve. 
He frees us through his death from the darkness of sin. And secondly, by rising from death with us, all of us who have surrendered to Jesus now receive freedom from the darkness, not only of sin and death, but also from the darkness of Satan himself. The death and resurrection of Jesus defeats Satan and delivers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. This happens now. In Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Death is defeated forever for you. You have new life. And Satan is shackled. And in the world to come, Jesus brings in a new world. In the new heavens and the new earth, a world without suffering and pain. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's total deliverance that Jesus offers. You no longer have to live under the darkness of sin or death or Satan because Jesus has come. Jesus says this in John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when the Thai authorities found out the boys were trapped in the Tham Luang cave, they quickly did what all governments do, isn't it? They swung into action. They let the media know. They, 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 put, they, they didn't leave any stone unturned. They went in and they tried to rescue the boys. And they tried for a while to find all sorts of things that they problem, and they failed. But on the eighth day, they made contact after eight days. And thanks, as you would expect, from with the help of two British divers. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing to be British, isn't it? The British are always there, helping somewhere in the world. Well, two British expert divers turned up, John and Rick, believe it or not, and they swam through the darkness. And as they were swimming towards the boy, they, the boys, they found a pocket of air that led them to where the boys were. And John, one of, <coughs> excuse me, one of the divers, said, as soon as they saw the boys saw their torches, they immediately, immediately emerged from the darkness. The boys saw the light of salvation, so to speak, and welcomed it. Why is that? Why didn't they just remain in the darkness? Well, because no human being wants to live in darkness forever. It has always struck me, actually, that even the kids around the neighborhood who enjoy doing things in darkness, even the person that loves the deeds of darkness and, you know, just love drinking at night and doing all sorts of things in the dark, in the end, they come home, turn on the light, and love enjoying the light. Why? Because we are creatures of the light. In this case, physical light. But in the same way, <clears throat> I'm convinced, because the Bible says so, that even people who enjoy the darkness of sin are still yearning deep inside to be delivered from that spiritual darkness. Deep down, all of us, and this should encourage you if you're sharing Jesus with someone in your life, they may be so locked in deep darkness of sin. Deep down them, 
they recognize that spiritual darkness is a foreign intruder. They recognize that we were designed and created by God to live under his spiritual light. And the good news of the Bible is that if you are here today and you haven't reached that point of true surrendering to God, the good news of the Bible is that you can surrender to God now. You can live as God intended. There is that deep yearning in you and part of you coming to church this morning is because God has been drawing you by his light. He's encouraging you to look to him. That's why you are here this morning. And what you need to do is to then surrender, embrace this light of Jesus. You can find the answer to the big questions you are asking in your life. That all of us are asking. Where do I come from? How can I live truly happy? Do I really matter in this world? How, How do I face the darkness of death in the end? All of these questions can leave us feeling overwhelmed. But they are answered in Jesus. Because only Jesus can give us the true fulfillment we long for. Because he knows our darkness as one of us. He's lived the life we live. And yet he has the power as God to deliver us from this darkness. If you are trapped inside a a dark elevator in a burning building, think of Greenfield, right? If you are one of the people there and you are there, and you are trapped in such a, 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 in a dark elevator in such a burning building, you would rather have a fireman, right, who can force his way into the elevator and open it, even if it's going to cause you a bit of pain, you'd rather have that, even though he doesn't fully know the conditions inside, you'd rather have him come and force his way in to rescue you than a fellow victim who is an expert in elevators understands the pain you're in and is there with you, trapped with you, but he can't do anything about it. You'd rather have the fireman, isn't it? With all the risk involved than that person you're with who understands you, knows the problem, but actually can't help you. He's powerless because he's just trapped as you are. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus is both the fireman who forces his way and the fellow victim trapped there. Because you see, Jesus has come as the all-powerful God, coming to rescue us. But he's come as one of us already. He's God with us. He understands what it means to be fully human. He understands death, actually, because he died. He is a God who died for us. He understands what it means to lose loved ones, all the pain we face in this world. He lost Lazarus. He understands our darkness. And yet he's powerful enough to force his way, to rescue us. He is more than able to deliver us. And the good news of Jesus is that he's inviting all of us here this morning to come to him. Because that is what he does in the second parable. Let's look at verse 24 in this parable of the measure. In verse 24, it says this, and he said to them, the second parable, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. Now, (laughs) the village 
parables. He, of course, is telling Israel. But at this time in Israel, and in some parts of the world today, commodities like oil and flour, uh, they are not bought off my supermarket shelves in pre-packaged things that you just lift off. No, you go to the market, you ask for what you want, and it's measured to you. Again, when I was growing up in the village, this is life. You go there, it's measured for you. Uh, and you, it's measured for you whether it's salt or whatever it is, or sugar you're buying, and it's given to you. Uh, and even though there are some standard-sized measures that people use, what's interesting is that when you go to the market, it depends on who's selling you, right? And you're the level of your knowledge. If they are really generous, right, what you ask for, they can even give you more. That's the advantage of going to the market than going to Sainsbury's. Sainsbury's, you get what's advertised. By the market, you can bargain, or if they're just nice and they've known you, they can give you always more than you, than you, than you ask for. And I remember as a young boy, when my mother sent me, uh, we would always get more. Uh, because, you know, you, relationships are established. Sometimes you are sent to buy from someone who is just scrupulous, right? And you're trying to buy, and they just give you less. You're like, this is not how I looked like last week. No, 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 this is it, this is it. So, when you do that, when you're getting these measures, this weighing, sometimes you get more, sometimes you get less. What Jesus is doing here is giving us this scene of the market trading, so to speak. And he's saying this measure or the weighing is a metaphor for how we respond, how we are to respond to the coming of the light of Jesus. He's saying, if you like, God is like the market trader, right? We come to him. If we deal with him honestly, right? Or we might say God, in this case, is a customer, right? If we deal with him honestly, he will deal with us honestly in that sense. If we are nasty to him and reject his good, faithful thing he's done, it's not that he will dupe us, no. He will, of course, punish us. He's saying God will treat each one of us according to how we respond to his offer of the light of Jesus to us. Those who accept Jesus, truly accept Jesus, will be blessed. Let's read verse 24 and 25, parts of 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added. For to the one who has more, more will be given. I can pause there. In other words, God is giving each one of us a genuine offer of the light of Jesus. But only those who truly surrender to Jesus will be delivered from darkness. God is treating you as an adult. He's saying, look, this is what is on the table. Jesus. If you truly surrender, you will have deliverance from darkness. And the good news this morning is that if you have truly surrendered to Jesus, you can be confident that now, in the air now, you have a new and wondrous and ever-growing life with God. Before you were covered in total darkness. Now in Jesus you are enveloped by the dazzling light of Jesus. And nothing more will, nothing will ever change that. Nothing. Not you, not the devil, not the powers that be can ever change that. We don't expect the Thai government, after rescuing those boys, to then send them back in. In fact, we don't even expect the Thai government to allow those boys just to wander in there again. Why? Because they are caring authority. 
What more our perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus? In Jesus, your deliverance from darkness is not in doubt if you surrendered. It is total. From beginning to the end. When Jesus takes you out of the spiritual cave of darkness, he never lets you go back in in that darkness forever. Once you are delivered from Satan's grip, you are delivered forever. Yes, there will be times when we feel lost and broken. But if we are truly trusting in Jesus, this passage assures us the light of Jesus is with us forever. So if you have stumbled in sin, there is no need to run away from Jesus. Go to Jesus now. Repent of your sin. And his light will lighten your path. More importantly, if you are truly in Jesus, from now on, your, your life in Jesus is amazing. It is a never-increasing torrent, torrent, the right word, torrent, right? Of the loving light of Jesus. Just beams and beams and beams and beams of light from Christ. More measure added. More measures. And God is growing you every day to experience this rich blessing of his light. Through many ups and downs, but it's forever light. You know the way I was picturing this? It's like the Bible tells us in, in Timothy that God lives dwells in inapproachable light. You know, the Christian journey is just approaching the light continuously, an infinite approach. With every approach we approach God, His beam of light and love is ever increasing in intensity. That's what heaven will be like, isn't it? That's what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. We can't even begin to imagine what God has in store for us in the world to come. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Friends, if you are in Jesus this morning, your eternity will be an ever deeper daily plunge into the immeasurable light and glory of Jesus. Always taking in more love from eternity. We've been speaking over Christmas, really focused on the love that dwells within the Trinity. And we said, the Father is always loving the Son. The Son is always loving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always loving the Father. And in the Trinity, it's just an eternal rays of love and light beyond anything we've ever experienced. You know, when we're in love and somebody love, when we meet someone and we fall in love, right? Like, we'll be happening. <laughs> we'll be having a picture of that on, uh, on Wednesday. When two people together, they're in love. And they love the other person. And they, and they realize at that moment, the other person loves them back. If you, I'm sure if you haven't experienced this. Young people, you experience in the future. If you have ever experienced that, right? All married people are, right? So you love that person and you realize at that moment they love you back. It feels good, doesn't it? In the Trinity, God the Father loves the Son. And the Son knows. In heaven, we'll be having more of that. Knowing we are loved by God. Knowing, no doubting. Receiving that light from Him. That's what heaven will be like. The light of Jesus just beaming on us. And that's what God wants you to have. In the here and now, growing and experiencing this light. And in the world to come, perfect love and light from God. God wants you to have this by fully surrendering to him now. 
But if you don't surrender to Jesus now, to the light of Jesus, Jesus has a warning for you here in verse 25. Look at that. For to the one who has more, more will be given. The one who surrenders to the prodding of the Spirit, God will give them more light and life with him. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I don't have time to expand on this text. It's, a, it's an amazing text and it is beginning to lay the foundation for Jesus' doctrine of hell later on, which you explained to us in Mark 9. But essentially what Jesus is, is, is making clear, first of all, to all of us, there's no one in this room who can ever say to God, they never had any prodding from him to repent. There's always something that you have. And that thing, of course, will be taken away. As I've said, coming to church this morning is part of God drawing you to himself. But if you refuse that, the Bible tells us that those who refuse his light will enter a dark eternity beyond imagination. Even the light, the little light they have now, will be completely gone. They will suffer terrible loss of separation from him. Now, this is not what God desires for you. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel that God takes no pleasure in your death. Because he knows the terrible darkness that awaits you if you have not truly repented. The Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants you to avoid eternal punishment by receiving the light of Jesus now. So if you have not come to Jesus, if you have not truly repented, come before God now. Ask him to forgive your sin based on the death of Jesus for you. Ask him to give you this new heart that loves him and desires to live for him. And if you do that right now, the light of Jesus will shine on you. You'll be delivered from the darkness of sin, death and hell. But beloved, it has to be a true repentance, not a tick box exercise. The light of God has dawned on you. It has entered the elevator. It is not intellectual assent. It is true trust and repentance in Christ. And if you do that, you truly repent, surrendering to him. Wow. <laughs> Heaven awaits, doesn't it? Ever-growing beaming of light. Well, may the Lord help all of us to grow in the light of Christ. Amen.